1: They've released the fixtures for the Arsenal games that are coming up, which means... We're going to have to start podcasting again. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We have not been, uh, how should I say this, consistent, but under the circumstances, I hope you will forgive us. We did, look, for a while, we kept the light burning. We did. We kept the lamp lit. We we did some interesting stuff on past seasons for patrons. We did some in the spotlights. We we tore apart and put back together KSE, uh, more or less. We did lots of stuff. We even talked about the last dance um, documentary, I would like to think that we we muddled through. Did we muddle through as well as like, I don't know, blog? No, of course not. Uh, but for the third-rate production that we got going on here, I think we did a hell of a good job. We may have gotten a little loose uh, in the scheduling this past week or two, but now that the... Uh, The schedule is out. We are going to be all over it. And I do want to thank Arsenal, the club. Uh, They did this huge YouTube get-together, bringing together fans from around the world, and they highlighted some uh, charitable events going on and and charitable giving, and, and they were kind enough to highlight the fundraising campaign that we ran and I should say that you ran because really you uh, you gave and and gave generously and I just want to thank the Arsenal Foundation and Arsenal for for highlighting that and uh, that is going to stay open so you can always just continue to give something to think about. Uh, Paul can't be with us today because he's saving up all his terrible opinions for a future podcast. But Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, hello there. Indeed, pregnant pause, building the building the anticipation, much like the season that is returning. Clive is here. He, he's on Twitter at ClivePafc. Hello, Clive. Hello, Hello, indeed. Um, uh, So Scott will certainly be on a future pod. And one of the things I want to get Scott on for, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Statsbomb released data on the Invincible season. So we're starting to see radars and things come out from the Invincible season. And I don't want to spoil it. The team was good, um, is what I'm taking away from the early data that we've seen. So, Did you see um,
2: Patrick Vieira's radar?
1: Yeah, it turns out that that Clive's not totally out of his mind for loving Patrick Vieira, huh? Who knew?
2: It, it was. It might as well have been in three D. It might as well have just been like a fist punching through the screen.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, and and that that re- reflects itself. his tenacity as well. Um, I, I would say that we could do a whole podcast on that, and I, I might even do that if I can get Scott to dive into that data and and do some Scott stuff. So, anywho, um. The fixtures are out. Let me let me read off what I see here on the Google machine. Manchester City, Wednesday, the 17th of June. Brighton, three days later on the 20th, away. Southampton, away. Three away games. Piece of piss, no problem. Uh, on the 25th of June, four away games. Sheffield, 27th. And then a home game on the 1st of July, Norwich. Um, those are the games that Google has in there. I'm sure there are some others. So... Tim any sort of first reactions to the schedule the sort of um cluster of uh, smorgasbord if you will of football that we are going to be inundated with and I mean try not to make it entirely selfish and about the fact that we're gonna have to podcast every other day um maybe are there any other takeaways that you have from it
2: (laughs) um I mean it's so it's it's as expected it's kind of as the fixtures were anyway um so yeah we've got the kind of Man City Brighton and then Sheffield United well I, I guess Sheffield United in the FA Cup is is coming um a slightly different time I think compared to what it would have in the ordinary run of things but I mean, I mean really it's it's kind of all eyes on that first Manchester City game and I, I what I find and like now the kind of fixtures are here like my excitement for it is building um but at the same time and and I think this is only going to be like a temporary kind of state of mind it, it's just so weird because I just can't imagine really or, 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 or i mean i can imagine but what the games are actually going to look like is going to be so weird and so it's not just like oh everything's back now everything's back to normal because it's really really not um and you know the kind of behind closed doors aspect of it there's still so much we don't know about you know like um i i know uh, was it when the first bundesliga game came back i can't remember which commentator it was i think it's steve McManaman on bt sports said something like oh you know um Bayern munich are in great form and uh, every, everyone was laughing on twitter because it's like what form they haven't played for two months and that's that's what's quite weird about this is nobody's got any form and nobody, probably least of all the teams themselves, really has a proper idea of what condition they're in at the moment. And they're not going to have an idea until the games are played. So it's it's not like usually you'd come into a game and you'd think, oh, in our last game, we were great shit, indifferent or whatever, and they were brilliant or rubbish or, or oh, they, you know, if it, if it let's say we were playing Man City and they lost their last game against Manchester United. So, you know, you're, look, you're looking... When that fixture came up in March, you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know, just doing that thing that all football fans do where a part of you thinks, oh, no, they lost against Man United. They're really going to want to, like, give it to us Mm. um, to prove a point. Or you do that kind of, well, you know, they lost their last game, so maybe they're not that great. (laughs) And and you think, "Mm, well, maybe we can capitalize on that. But all of that is out of the window. And it's really not it's not even like a first game of the season scenario. It's like it's more profound than that. And of course, the conditions are so odd for everyone and the whole fitness side of it is, is like a complete unknown um, at the moment. So it's it's just it's just so surreal to think of. And even in my mind's eye, I'm trying to imagine what this Man City game is going to look like. and And I kind of can, but I can't at the same time. Like, I understand what a behind closed doors game is going to look like, but I still don't really have a frame of reference for it. So I can imagine it. But there, there's like nothing for me to draw on, um, and obviously once it happens once or twice, you get used to it and you'll get into the swing of things quite quickly. But um, yeah, and also from a shall we say like content creation perspective, you know, for the last three months, you know, I've I've been like pulling stuff out of my ass really mm-hmm. <laughs> for things to write about with with varying oh, of success. There.
1: And just let you know that that's good preparation because when the baby comes, you will be doing much the same. So there you
2: go. Yeah, and and then like you say, like all of a sudden we we've gone from like what on earth are we going to do a podcast about to oh my god, there's another game. Like, how, won't someone how, how please think of this? the
1: podcasters, Tim? I mean, is that too much to ask? When are we going to pod for God's sakes? How are we going to do a post match yeah. after all of these? It's like a Christmas period, but for three weeks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's essentially like we said in the last pod, it's a bit like a World Cup, isn't it? Or something like that. And yeah, I know like from kind of working on the Women's World Cup last summer, like what a whirlwind that feels like when you're kind of when you're working on it and recording like every other day or every day and writing about it every day. And it's like, it's kind of great, but it's it's hard work at the same time, but it's brilliant. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. What about you, Clive?
1: I mean, apart from obviously the pain and anguish that it causes us scheduling-wise, um, do you think this is going to be more exciting because of the way it's clustered together? Do you think it'll be harder to keep track of it all? I mean, I, I, I'm i still trying to look at this schedule and wrap my brain around just how much Arsenal we're going to be watching over a period of, of a while. It's like a summer tournament, but Premier League style. Um, wh- what do you think this means for how the squad will be used, for um, how you're gonna approach the games, how Arteta is gonna approach the games, any any thoughts sort of from a coaching yeah. standpoint where, where it might cause tactics to be adjusted?
3: I think it's going to be a, a far more of a coach's game than a, than an overall product where the crowd are involved and the media more, you know, more all over you. And I just feel it's, you're, we're gonna be watching games that are gonna look like choreography. When I was thinking about this, I think the teams that want to hold on to the football more, more possession teams, are going to do quite well. Because particularly in the early couple of weeks where fitness is going to be questionable. Because there's fit and there's being match fit and being super turning sharp fit. Watching the German games, the first couple of games were good to watch because they were new. Then you're starting to watch the intensity now. When you see the ball being pressed, there are more people in the screen. People are starting to move around. There's a right back is over there from Everton, John Joe, John Joe Kenny's name is. I think he's playing for Schalke. I think he's playing. And he's, I watched him in the first game and he was blowing out of his backside. I watched him a couple of weeks ago and he looks much sharper, much fitter. A great example of a player that was doing well. And now I thought he's not doing that great. And then you see him, you think he's, he's doing quite well out there. So I think people that have the ball in those early games are going to be doing well good communicating teams. I think communication now becomes something of a plus. Players communicate more than we realize because we don't hear them. Mm. But there are times when players communicate on the pitch where they can't hear each other. right? So I think we. I think what you're gonna come away from this is communication from the bench, we're gonna be talking about it. Communication on the pitch, how players talk to each other. I to be very interested to see how the TV companies use that data and use the information whether they muffle it or whether they make it clear, because some of the language on the football pitch is a little bit industrial, shall we say. So I think teams that are massive communicative teams with big personalities that really want to dominate their own team and dominate the position. Again, my experience with non-league, you often find that the because it's a, a much more sanitised, quieter environment, you get players that are big players, big personalities, big talkers that can dominate a ref, dominate a team, it's going to be interesting to see how communicative we are versus other teams, how we want to keep the ball-mate teams running around. I think it's going to be a, it's, it is going to be, it is going be for the real nerds, I think, it won't just be a blood and thunder game because the atmosphere will have gone up to a degree, but it will be a more technical coaches game, a chess game. I, I think it's going to be that. And we're going to be able to look at the game in a slightly different way and see it. I often find when I watch the ladies' game because it's quieter from a coaching angle, I can see and I can hear what they're doing. I can really see and feel it. And I can see the patterns. I can see the triggers. Sometimes when I'm watching the men's team, I'm so immersed in the whole emotion of it all. It takes a little bit longer for me to process the patterns of play, to process what they've been doing, instructions, because we're wrapped up in the whole circus of it. So I think we may end up seeing some new things. People may see some new things. And walk away with some new experiences.
1: Um, And I think we can all agree that, I mean, maybe if stadiums were empty more frequently, if we had eliminated the the need to have fans at the stadium, that, you know, a lot of things could be different. I think, for one, we have to agree that Van Persie never would have taken that shot after the whistle at the new camp. (laughs) And he wouldn't have been sent off and we would have won that tie. So. You know, maybe just maybe the fans have been the problem all along. Um, you know, I don't know if I want to have the tedious debate, but tedious debates are sort of the point of a podcast, so I'm I'm leaning towards maybe doing it just really, really quickly. Tim, I don't want to get stuck into it too much, but there is a strain of internet-based human that thinks the problem with Arsenal is Arsenal fans and Mm. the reason we lose at home sometimes despite the fact that like we've had some bad seasons where we were the best team in england at home and vice versa like is that the fans aren't supportive enough or aren't good enough and when in fact if you look at all the big clubs quite frankly it's desperately quiet at most of those grounds when they're playing poorly and it's loud when they're playing well and anyway um Mm. do you think there is any possibility that we may get some interesting data points vis-a-vis how fans positively or negatively affect teams at home versus away and that that will have a, a sort of a clean test set you know like a, a control in science to see how much away versus home matters when there's no no ambience i mean it is kind of interesting right like we we do mm. presume that away is harder and home is easier because of fans now we're going to really put that theory to the test
2: yeah, absolutely, and um, I think we've seen this in the Bundesliga uh, that you know there are there are more away wins happening, and and actually I th- I think the kind of research I think you're right because this is like this is real this isn't just research this is the real thing but a lot of the research suggests that where the fans have the influence is on referees and not so much on the team itself,
1: hmm.
2: um, but but when you think about so so I think as ever that the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? And this whole, like, oh, the the fans are terrible um, kind of debate because, like, Ar- Arsenal, fa- really, um, there isn't a lot of difference between football fans from the same country. Generally, we are all of the same culture, and you'll get, like, little differences. Um, but but really, it's kind of overstated. Um, and when you just have, like, huge numbers of, you know, particularly inside the stadiums, it's, it's usually, like, a mainly british kind of crowd or english crowd you know largely that they're fairly they're a bit more they're a lot more homogenous than people kind of will say and and it's it's the only differences appear when well, sorry, fan performance, as it were, if you want to use the word performance, is entirely dictated by team performance. Right. So at any given time, you can say, oh, those fans are more supportive than the other fans. But it's like, yeah, OK, but if you swap their form over, what do you get? You know, if, if a team starts below, performing below expectations, generally the fans, you know, to some degree will turn. That's just the way it goes. Um, and a lot of that's driven by expectation. Um, and so, and so, like a a lot of this stuff is just really, really overstated. But then, you know, there there are things that annoy me sometimes in the stadium. I, I get really annoyed with the shoot stuff, <laughs> especially and, when Shaq is on the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you just think, well, like, are you paying any attention? And you know, at the beginning of last season, look, I as I'm I'm no chill for Emery, um, and and I think look that. The biggest problem with the passing out from the back under Emery was the shape, right? The kind of box shape that he used just meant that players received the ball at awkward angles under pressure. And you can see that's changed instantly under Arteta because now it's a triangle shape, which means players are on the half turn and can get rid of the ball a little bit more quickly or turn away bit more quickly that's why the playing out from the back is better now but i did i did and still do get really fucking annoyed with the oh no. like every time they try and pass out from the back um yeah because lumping same... it long was such a successful strategy for us yeah, Given that we yeah.
1: completed like 10 percent of our long balls from the keeper
2: <laughs> yeah yeah but again at the same time in fairness the reason that happened was because we were a bit crap at it Um, And obviously, like getting on their backs doesn't really make that any better. But again, just to go back to the main point, it's dictated by the performance. But I I, I want to draw on something Clive said there, because he said it just as I was thinking it, like about um, the differences with women's football, for example. Um, And I I think personally, I'm going to be really geared up like I'm going to be quite assimilated um, to watching behind closed doors football because of the things Clive said about the, uh, the, the similarity. I think it will it, you'll start to see with women's football where, um, first of all, the crowds aren't as big anyway. And the crowds that are there, they're not as it's not as tribal. There's not as much singing and chanting and stuff like that. So like the atmosphere's, you know, not quite as febrile. Um, and actually, I literally this afternoon I've been doing some stuff. So I I do quite a bit of like research work around the WSL. So not everything I do around women's football is like published in article form. Um, but I was doing some research today, and like there was um, I can't remember which coach it was, but they it, it was like an interview with coaches who've coached women's football and men's football, and they were talking about the difference between male and female athletes and and the product. And they you know they were talking about how like um women's games they're you know they're they're not as they're not quite as fast they're not quite as physical but the tactical shape is so much clearer and actually if if you're a bit of an aficionado as it were they're, they're really enjoyable to watch from the technical angle because like clive says you can see exactly what's going on um and and this isn't just because of the whole like speed um and power element which which i think is overplayed but what one of the coaches said as well was that women um like female players are much more likely to ask why they're being asked to do something so with male players when their coach manage like generally speaking manager goes right we're doing this you're playing there and you're going to do this and the male player goes okay i'll do that um whereas usually the female player is more likely to say okay okay but why am I doing that? Like they kind of want the rationale, which is kind of why you end up with much more technical, like a, a much more technical tactical product. And that's partly yeah, because of how women footballers are. But it's partly because you don't have 50,000 people booing and screaming and shouting. Um, and that's why home advantage, for example, isn't as, as pronounced a thing in the women's game. Or, although, Um, There are big inequalities anyway, which just mean that some teams are just so much like like Arsenal beat most teams below them quite easily just because they're so much better. But, um, yeah, I I really think we're going to get a much more technical product. And I I think Clive's right. I think the possession based teams will benefit. Um, It would be really interesting to see what kind of impact this would have on the season if Liverpool and Man City were closer together. Um, in the table I mean now it doesn't matter because Liverpool are going to win it but perhaps if there are a couple of points between them maybe Liverpool who generally play a bit more of a high octane style not always now they vary their approach but it'd be really interesting to see you know how like Manchester City's kind of slightly more possession-based style which, which, which I think will work really well for them compared to Liverpool style which is a bit more dependent on their fitness I'd love to see how that would play out in the ordinary run of things but obviously we're we're not going to see that but I I I just got an inkling that this is actually going to work quite nicely for Arsenal and not because we haven't got the terrible poisonous fans there but just because I think we've got that tactical technical coach um, who's really going to think about this stuff and have us playing that possession football Mm.
1: yeah I mean I think that there's another point to this though, which is, and I will be curious to see how home and away plays out. I I kind of have a a suspicion that home and away will play out similar to how they do when there are fans there, but I think the reason that'll be muddied to some extent is also by um, is because is due to the fact that the games are coming so thick and fast and you know some teams are just going to be more fit than other teams and that that's going to muddy the you know there'll be a lot of noise to the signal i actually think that this is going to be a period of football where the fitter teams will excel and the less fit teams will struggle and it'll just be that simple i i think look look at how this plays out you're probably going to have weather that's you know 25 27 28 degrees celsius is that a thing that's a thing right those are real yeah, temperatures yeah. so it's going to be hotter out um you're allowed 5 substitutes and I want to get into this with you Clive because I think this is a massive difference. So you're playing every other you know every other day, every 2 days, every 3 days in hotter weather with more subs, the team that can run around more in hot weather multiple days in a row is going to have an advantage. So I I I mean I do think the possession teams may excel in the sense that they have to do less running, they will tire less that later in the game's teams could tire, but the substitutions could change that. Well, I mean, how do you think this impacts the approach to games? Look, I do not think five subs versus three is a subtle difference. I think it is a seismic shift in the tactical approach to a game. You are talking about replacing 50% of the outfield players. If you wanted to press like mad for 45 minutes and make five subs on halftime and press like mad again, you could. You could basically play it with a first-half team and a second-half team and say run till your legs hurt, and then you're off. And you could really see teams just use half a team for one half, half a team for another. You're not likely to rotate out your defenders because, you know, what teams have good backup defenders or really what teams have good first-string defenders, right, Arsenal? Um, But, I mean, so then the question becomes what happens at 70 minutes when you've got tired defenders and brand-new fresh front three running at them this is a, I think this is a major tactical shift, Clive. I think that being able to bring yep. on five subs, half your outfield players changing every game, is, is something that good coaches are really going to lean into using, not just as an extension of the existing rule, but as a transformation. So do you have a thought on how that might impact the way the game's played?
3: Yeah, I, I think the five subs thing is an unbelievably good idea, and I hope it never goes.
1: Hmm, really?
3: And I, and I will tell you why. Because I feel in the game, there's a levelling out of talent. Right? So I think the real trick is not talent identification because every club knows every single player in the world. There are hardly any secrets. The real trick is assimilation into your club, how you assimilate people into your club tactically, psychologically, and what sort of recruitment strategy you have to bring the right people in at the right time, at the right price, at the right moment, and sell accordingly. I think that is the trick. Sports science has levelled the game out. So I think from a, I think there is more to physical disparity in the men's game because there are some special physical talents. But I do think there's a levelling out. I think some of the teams in the mid to lower end of the table, they can run just like the top teams. In yesteryear, we talked about the principles earlier on, where well, Alex, Alex Ferguson tried to react to Arsenal's running power by signing Jemba Jemba, for God's sake. So we told, that just showed you how unique we were at the time with the various vitamins we were taking. There, There is a levelling out now. Liverpool maybe have an intensity to them. Now the game has been compressed, it's much more intense, whereas at Arsenal's invincible times, we were a length of the team, breakaway, runaway team. So there is a levelling out. So I think the game has become more... Managed by data, we can see the the pressure points, we can see where our weakness is, we can see our strengths, we can see other teams. What I think the five subs will do, will bring it back to the human being, it'll bring it back to the person that can feel the game, see the game, adjust to the game that's in front of him. I think in-game coaching is where the game needs to go, to bring back the jeopardy and stop it being managed by computers. Because every game has its variables and it, sometimes in a game you can't react. I've often felt concussion substitutes should be put in place straight away. If you have a major head injury, That, yeah, that, that should should have, that's
1: crazy one. that that hasn't just come into the game.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I really feel that, particularly for goalkeepers, that should just be, that should just be a given. If you have that issue, it, it should just be a given. If you look at rugby, it's one of my other sports I really like. I think they've got eight on the bench now, seven or eight, I can't remember which one and that's, again that's half the team and they have starters and finishers concept and again when I was managing the youth level we had rolling subs at youth level, you can bring up rolling subs during the game and you and I literally would pick a team to start the game and I'd pick a team to end the game and I'd roll towards that and tactically it was fantastic and do that up to under 18s and then you get to the men's team game and then you can have like five players at non-league level on the bench we can only use three of them. i think no, use five. We've got these only in a pro game, we've got 25 man squads. Why can't on, on any given day 16 players be used? You know, I think there should be tighter rules around substitutions in the last five minutes and injury time, so they can't be used to waste time. If you do make a substitution, there should be almost a fixed allotted time that's added to the clock, so everyone knows you've had three substitution breaks, it's going to be a minute and a half for each substitution break, and it's going on the end of it, no matter what you're doing. Am I so you correct, you can't Clive, use it tactically.
1: In in saying, also that these five subs can still only be made in as a, the, a maximum of three, three substitution periods. You
3: are right? correct. Yeah, right. You are correct, mate. You are correct. But again, I, I think it's a I think it's a great opportunity to look at the game differently. Again, I would take the clock out of the referee's hand. i would have it managed separately. I'd have it on the screen so we could all see what was happening when the clock was stopped and it would just reach to a crescendo like again like it does in rugby for example I wouldn't have this unknown scenario where at the end of a game we don't know how much injury time is coming, what, what other of rubbish is that? What, what sport does that? Why, why, why are we taking away that? Why are we having that debate where it's going to be two minutes or six minutes particularly with VAR in place now there's a chance here and we should be open to it. And I guarantee you Sky are sitting there and BT and they're thinking the game needs us at the moment. We're going to really flex our muscles and it's going to be interesting to see what they do next in the next couple of weeks, you know, when they're in the dressing rooms, et cetera, they're going to really flex their muscles. So I'm not against any of it. Because I felt the game was plateauing before the lockdown, hmm. plateauing popularity. Maybe because we're not Liverpool fans, we're that's how we feel. Yeah, maybe it's we just because
1: things sucked for us, we didn't want to watch.
3: <laughs> yeah, but well, we've got it, we've got an exciting match, which we are starting to feel excited about. But I feel, and if you look at the TV numbers, I'm not sure I agree with them to be honest. But they weren't going up. Everyone says that the TV numbers are going down, but everyone I speak to has watched the game. So how's that happening? So I think there's a lot of unofficial watching, shall we say, or watching of highlights. So how the game is being consumed is different. So I think this is a unique time to really look at this and really bring the game back to the football experts and the people that are feeling the game on the day, managing in-game, five substitutions, I think it's a great idea, a great idea to get more people playing, a great idea for young players to get more opportunities to play on particular game scenarios. So I hope he does stay around afterwards.
1: Yeah, uh, so can I be a wet blanket? Yeah, why don't you come back in and then I'll be the wet blanket.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. I just wanted to add something that I think is a a really, really um, interesting angle as well, is that um, a lot of teams have got their injured players back unexpectedly now so you're looking at united we're going to be missing marcus rashford for the whole season mm-hmm. no longer the case they've got him now spurs are going to be missing harry kane and son not the case they've got them back now um you know arsenal have got some players coming back from injury as well
3: torreira torreira
2: exactly yeah and i, I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to um darren burgess on the Askcast this week started
1: but- i haven't finished it yet, unfortunately
2: yeah, he was talking about, and, and this is what I think is really interesting as well, because those players are coming back from injury, and ordinarily you'd say, well, yeah, okay, but you know, how much of a flow are they going to get back in like nine games? But Darren was saying on the Cast that the thing is. They're not at a disadvantage anymore because nobody's played for three months. So all of a sudden, everyone is dragged down to their level. So he was talking about like Rob Holding, for example, and saying, you know, he was struggling to get his rhythm back. Well, now when we come back, he's potentially a lot more of an option because now nobody's got any rhythm. So like everyone is at the 80% that he was when play stopped. So you've got this additional angle where lots of teams have got their injured players back that they weren't expecting. Um, and they're not at a really physical disadvantage for having not played because everyone's at that level. And that's, that that's a really interesting thing about the run in, I think. Yeah.
1: All right. So c- can I be the wet blanket now just briefly? Um, yeah. I, I I think there's a chance that like the five sub thing is actually pretty bad for the standard of football, and I think part of the reason is, look, some of what makes football special is the skill of the players eventually winning out. You know, there's a, a lock you're trying to pick, there's a problem you're trying to solve, and the players are out there, and maybe they solve it quickly, maybe it takes them to the 70th minute, but they figure it out, they solve the problem. It it is very tactical for that reason, and I also think that the 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 limitation on subs means that sort of anti-footballing, anti-technical approaches can't be rewarded. You can't tactically foul for 90 minutes. I mean, you can, but pretty much eventually as the cards start to pile up, you're going to have to stop stop doing it. You can't just sit and defend point. for 90 minutes because eventually those tired legs get the better of you and you're going to lose concentration and they're going to find their way through. You can't just press like mad for 90 minutes. Look at, Spurs under Pochettino, a classic bad finishing team, both in a season and in games, because he really had one way to approach it, and when their pressing intensity waned, they they really became very vulnerable to, to losing games and losing seasons, and I think with five subs, you can tactically foul for 90 minutes, you can sit and defend deep for 90 minutes, you can take... Less tactical, less skillful approaches, and just throw bodies at the problem. Throw hard running, bo- you know, go jump and kick and elbow for forty minutes, and then I'll take you off and put someone else on to do it. So, I mean, Clive, do you want to sort of respond to my natural pessimistic nature as as a horrible, horrible trash human, and 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 tell me why why that's a silly
3: perspective? Yeah, they do it in basketball, didn't they, mate? They they mm-hmm. throw. They throw three bodies at the shack, yeah, that kind yeah? of stuff, yeah. They throw, and they get fouled out, and then and it's for another body at him. But, you know, but, but you have to overcome it. And then there's the other side to it. You bring on a player that's um, not up to the pace of the game. And suddenly doesn't quite get his instructions. He may be able to run, but he's not switched on mentally, and bang, you're in. Right now, that often happens as well. Mm. I think, you know, whether it's four or five, I do think that increase is, is coming. It's coming to the game, you know. It's at some point, whether we do it in stages or not. Mm. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just not really against it. I think, I think, you know, what we're going to see also in these closed, behind closed doors games is um, teams with um, personality. You know, imagine neutral games at the moment, like finals and semi-finals we've been to. Sometimes you can feel it on the day, the team that feels superior before the game's even kicked off. Sometimes you can see it in the warm up. You know, like games that I've coached at semi-finals and finals, you can feel it as you turn up because there's there's less variables. It's just you and them, right? You're either good enough or you're not. The variables of the crowd are taken away. So it becomes a game of personality, assurance, stature, confidence, and composure, how you move, how you walk. You look at Man City. I don't know if you notice behind their benches, they have about 45 people in those purple coats, you know, mm. literally. And part of that is is just literally imposing yourself on the other team. They have so many coaches that turn up in a separate coach. And then they come to your space and they dominate you. They dominate your pitch. They dominate the warm-up. This is all part of the game now. This is all part of the pro game. You have people. You, you, you dominate people from the moment you turn up. And this is part of it. This is part of it. And I think that's going to be far more prevalent in the restarts. Watch me on this one. Trust me on this, because the crowd element has been taken out, and I just think the game is going to develop in a, in a different way. And, I, and I'm really excited for it. I have to say, I'm really excited for it. There's, there's some podcasts at the moment with um, on the athletic, you know, they talk about different teams. I started off with Arsenal and Aston Villa about the restarts and how I think James had a great section on on the Arsenal podcast. And I just I just rolled into Aston Villa's podcast and James was incredibly positive and I agreed 100% on what he said, basically. I felt pre-season positive. And I went to the Aston Villa podcast afterwards and they were equally as positive. <laughs> I thought, we are in pre-season mode. We all are. We are, And on pre-season mode, we all think we're going to win the league almost. Does you that know I mean we all mm-hmm. think our players are fitter, better, sharper? And I do think it's gonna be interesting to see when this actually kicks off and the ball starts to move across the grass how we actually feel about what we actually see.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, all right. So I mean I, I think that's sort of enough of that. But but Tim, do you have any quick final thoughts on my inherently negative perspective on the universe?
2: Um, I I guess I'd only say that what you describe as potentially a leveller, right? Because your first thought with the kind of five subs thing is, um, or most people's first thought is, well, that would just, that will benefit the teams with the bigger squads. But yeah, what you describe is potentially a bit of a leveller to that, a bit of a, well, you know, that means that the lower teams can do a bit more of the rotational fouling and just put in hard runners and the rest of it. So maybe that... uh, you kind of couched it as a bit of a negative, but maybe that—that's you know—that's just a way of leveling the playing field a little bit, meant it meant it as a
1: Positive for
2: for the competitive <laughs> standard of the sport, duh. That's what I meant.
1: Um. All right. Well, so so I want I want to hit two topics quickly before we say goodbye. Um. I do want to talk transfers because uh, clicks, but before we do that, let's just talk the state of the top six. And Tim, I mean, I I don't know. Which end is up with this right now? I I don't know if I feel that there's really any likelihood of turning around our situation vis-a-vis trying to get in the Champions League. But do you have any kind of thoughts on the state of play with respect to the top six? And really, I mean, it's a top five if you take Liverpool out of the equation and mm-hmm. probably take City out of the equation, make it a top you know a, a top four after those top two. Where's your where where are your thoughts on the state of play with that group?
2: So, um, in in terms of so in terms of like whether Arsenal can finish in the top six this year because we're ninth currently. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I I think we will. Um, I think we will actually. I, th- I think we might just cling to six. Um, I've been looking at like some teams' metrics and like Sheffield United, for example, obviously having a brilliant season, but like their xG. Um, you know, it says that a false position isn't the right word, but, you know, they're, they're kind of due a, a bit of a fall. And actually they've only used like 15 players or something this season and they've had the same back five all season. And that, that's just the kind of stuff that doesn't go on forever. Um, and they might have lost a bit of momentum. And the, But then you look at Wolves and um, I, I think Wolves are in with a really good shot at the top four um, because the biggest thing that you felt might stop them was fatigue because they've, in, in the Europa League, but now they've had this little break that might benefit them. Um so so uh, Leicester I mean Leicester have been in quite bad form um but they lost they lost Vardy and Ndidi to injuries and again that that's no longer a problem for them and that coincided with their bad run but they're they I think they're too far ahead. They'll stay in the top four. Um I, I think that the the interesting one is fourth which I don't think is out of the question for us. I think it's unlikely um, just because it's Chelsea in there at the moment. And I don't necessarily trust Chelsea to stay in it. Um, I, I I've got a feeling United might get it though. Um, Again, you know, talking earlier about getting injured players back, they're going to have Pogba and Rashford back. And neither of those players have played with Bruno Fernandes yet. Who's made such a big difference. So like that triangle, Fernandes, uh, Pogba and Rashford, and they were in fairly decent form um, anyway. So I I think they're kind of the form team. I've got a feeling they might sneak that fourth spot um, ahead of Chelsea, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Wolves might be in there. Um, but yeah, I, I think we'll get sixth. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't see us getting fourth, but I don't think it's completely out of the question.
1: The hard thing with this analysis is this is not this season. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. forget what we're calling it. It is a new season. It is taking place at a new point in time, new weather, new players. It is, yeah. I mean, it is not. The rules are different. The fan situations are different. And, I mean, there's no way to – and look, I realize you were doing this because there was a global pandemic that forced us into this, so I'm not blaming anybody for it. It's just – it is sort of a nonsense to try to analyze it as a continuous part of the season that passed because it isn't. I mean, if you had a Derby game away in front of a hostile crowd earlier in the season – And now you have to play the return fixture in front of an empty stadium. That's not fair, right? I mean, and again, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying these are realities. Um, You know, you pointed out Wolves. I couldn't agree more. They might have run out of legs. Now that's not an issue for them. All of these things are going to make a difference. Getting Pogba back is a pretty big deal. Getting Rashford back is a pretty big deal. Getting Torreira back, to some extent, might be a pretty big deal. Um, You know, I, I do think it'll be interesting watching Arteta you know, what What had the time off given him in terms of the opportunity to sort of review what he did in his first stint as Arsenal manager? Did he learn some things? I mean, one of the issues we would have said was a weak point for him was maybe learning in-game substitutions. And now he's got to do five of them. So good luck. God bless. Um, I mean, Clive, your thoughts on how that, that grouping could shape shake out? And if you agree with Tim that we'll get into the, into the top six, let alone top four?
3: Yeah, I'm... I'm- as always, oh well, I'm overly optimistic, probably. I, I, I feel we can. It's all about fifth, really, isn't it? Getting to fifth and see what happens with Man City in the Champions League. So I think, can we get to fifth? And I, I look at the teams above us. I think Spurs, they were, they were crumbling, and, and they were definitely crumbling because of injuries. Those injuries have gone, and so they are going to have a level of comfort from names on the team sheet. They won't have their home crowd, and they've got. You know, let's be honest, they've got a decent home atmosphere, even at Wembley, or at Wale Lane and at their new ground. I think that's a major thing for them. I think on the on the pitch, I don't think they're very quick. I don't think they're as young as they used to be, particularly at the back. I think. From I'm going to tell you something, by the
1: way. None of us are as young as we used to be.
3: <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> this is my <laughs> birthday Tuesday, cracking. Right. So, um, and so, so I think they are going to be okay Sheffield and I, I think quite similarly I think they're quite anglo-Saxon and I think they're going to struggle tactically when it becomes a more tactical game I think the are really, a pretty
1: a pretty. Like interesting manager tactically, what's it? is it Wilder or whatever he he did like they he didn't do. have the inverted centre backs, or whatever the hell it was, something
3: like that. Uh, they uh, overlapping centre backs. Yeah, so what, I don't mean that. What, I don't do mean I they're tactically. I don't mean that they're tactically inept. I just think the style of game. You know, I, I call it a winter British game. Mm,
1: yeah, and
3: right. I think I think it's going to be a game where you need the football. And so I think, to be consistent, I don't think they're one of those teams. I think Wolves are an interesting counter-attack team. Uh, if they can retain their speed and efficiency. I think they could be interesting. They have a simplicity of a back three system, which I quite like. So positionally, they'll be in good shape. So, again, have they reached a the promised land and now having a an look and play cracker? We've done really, really well. Now we've got to do it again.
1: Adama Traore is court. not back, right? His injury was more severe. It wasn't like an Achilles or something?
3: Uh, I'm not sure, you know. I'm really not sure. So, um, But, you know, I'm thinking about their striker, Jimenez. I think he's a very good player. And they've got Jota and players like that. They're, they're a nice team. But, again, the momentum's been broken much like for Sheffield United. Manchester United agreed, Tim. They're starting to feel themselves. But they're a big team. They're the sort of team that are really going to benefit from this neutral ground per se. Because they're gonna come in with the with the Man United persona. It's gonna be interesting to see. And that's growing. That'll only grow with the names they're bringing on. Chelsea is a is a team I regrettably sort of um have to admire a little bit. I don't like to say that, but I like some of their youth players. They're gonna be young, they're gonna be sharp. He's gonna play them, he's gonna rotate them. They're gonna be a team I think on the pitch that will do well when it comes to football. Much like us, I think we're quite young. I think that will show up. Leicester, another sprinting team, but I think they have they're on, they could be on the beach quicker than other team Could they've reached where they want to get to. Much like Man City, they've reached where they want to get to. It's about maintaining, so you could get a bit of disparity in their results. A little are over the hill, right? So it's just a matter of when we play them, etc. So for Arsenal now, I think we're young. I think we're bright. I think we're falling into a strategy. I think we're trying to create tactical players who are coaches. I think the youth we have on the bench in particular will sustain performance levels. I don't think we've got massive superstars apart from the guy up front. But what we do have is a level, I don't want to say mediocrity, but a level of similar players. So when you rotate them out, you'll get a level of performance. And I think that could benefit us. But I think the real key is the youth, how they now feel having a break, and then coming back with everything to prove, I think how they do will really dictate how we do, particularly in some of the away games.
1: Mm. All right, well, uh, Tim, do you have any response to that before we shift to our final topic? Uh, No. Okay, good stuff. Um, Actually, I might as well ask you. I I guess I could use Google, but you tend to be more knowledgeable. Um, Do you know if Adama Traor is back? I seem to remember that being a longer-term injury?
2: I I don't actually know. I th- I, I didn't hear that he wasn't, but yeah, I, I, I don't actually know. I mean, yeah. he's, he's made a huge, because one of their big problems, right, was last season they couldn't break down the teams that were getting relegated that put 10 behind the ball, and he's kind of changed that for them by being a bit of an X factor. So yeah, if, if he's not there, I wouldn't rate their chances of, of finishing in the top four, put it that way.
3: Okay, got he it. Dis- he dislocated his shoulder. That's what he did. So, uh, okay. He, but he also he, had a,
1: a metatarsal fracture. Is that right?
3: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Dissecated his shoulder. In this is what
1: you tune in for <laughs> speculation about a, a fact that could easily be solved with some Googling. Um, uh, well, here we go. Edometrary injury news right from the Wolves website. And the only reason I'm looking this up is because that's a team that we would necessarily need to jump over. Um,. So, you know, I think it is relevant to us, but... You fit. Yeah, okay, well, there you go, and that makes a big difference. So, okay, well, good for them that we get to see the dribbly Adama Traore, dribble monster. Let, let's talk transfers. Again, Every everybody wants to talk transfers because, you know, it's fun. Um, uh, Tim, dealer's choice, do you want to... Hem and haw in frustration at Timo Werner potentially going to Chelsea, or do you want to throw dirt on the uh, Partey Thomas Partey? Is it Party Partey? How do you uh, par, Party <laughs> Partey? Partey the Thomas Partey no transfer idea. to Arsenal?
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about the player. I, I'd still be pretty shocked if we spent £50 million pounds on, on anyone um, or if a deal ended up being done like that. Um, I, I think Arsenal are very much in the land of swaps, loans and freebies, um, unfortunately. And I think even if we managed to sell some players, a lot of that will go back into running costs, I'd have thought, and won't be immediately available for transfers. So um, I, I think for Arsenal, perhaps... Um, I wouldn't call this an advantage per se, but the fact that we've kind of already started with some of the young players, so it wouldn't be an afterthought um, to integrate them more. We've kind of started that process already. Um, and, you know, may, maybe in Abamyang and Lacazette, we do have some saleable assets still to be able to kind of um, replenish the squad. But I, I think that's going to be a big problem for us. I, th- I think there's just, um, there's no two ways about it. I think... Um, I think we've all got to face up to the fact that, I mean, look, I I can't put it any simpler than this. Arsenal made their players take a 12.5% pay cut and that was like two months ago. That's the financial reality. That is going to have an impact on transfers. It is as simple as that. Um, And and you look at, I think what's going to happen in the top six is I think... um, Manchester City, Manchester United will be absolutely fine because... Um, one's backed by a billionaire and one is just so unbelievably high grossing that it won't really matter I think we're seeing that Chelsea will come into that category as well because they will be backed by their owner so they're able to gazump Liverpool for Timo Werner I I think it'll it'll impact Arsenal Liverpool and Tottenham the quote-unquote self-sustaining clubs Um, I mean Manchester United are a self-sustaining club but of a completely different level financially and I think Arsenal Spurs and Liverpool will really suffer for Liverpool I think the delay the uh, impact will be delayed because at the moment their team is still so good um, but the fact that they're pulling out of this Timo Werner signing I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what's going to happen to them because what they did last year was that they didn't add very many players at all and it kind of reminds me of um, just before the Invincible season when Arsenal added like they added Jens Lehmann and Gail Clichy, and that was it. Um, it was only the goalkeeper that was like the material change to the starting eleven. Liverpool did something similar. They didn't really add anyone last year. They just kept on going. They kept um, that that team together, and you've seen they really capitalised on that. But um there comes a point where perhaps you've got to just refresh things a little bit perhaps introduce a bit more competition liverpool are going to be going into next season as champions and we all know that sometimes when when you're champions teams want to beat you more and your hunger can go a little bit so you've got to be really careful about adding things back into the mixture just just to keep things you know just to keep things tight and competitive and I think Liverpool really really wanted to bring Timo Werner in to do that because everyone knows that their front three is amazing and what they've kind of done is they've they've managed to keep their front three fit and they've kind of relied a little bit on luck with like Divock Origi scoring some big goals, but he's barely scored this season now. And Daniel Sturridge has gone and they don't have the cupboards a little bit bare for them going forward. Shakir has been injured. Um, and you know, they don't quite have enough there. And I think they really wanted to introduce a big player just to keep, you know, just to keep that level of competitiveness up and and they've decided they can't do it. So they're going to go into next season with the same team, um, which, which isn't terrible for them, um, into, because their team's kind of at its peak, but you've got to think about when your team's at its peak, you've got to think about. You know, the fact that it's not going to stay at its peak forever. And they've got a lot of players who are like 28 who are going to be 29 next season because that's how it works. And 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 that's still a good age. But that's the point where you want to be thinking about bringing up, you know, bringing up the kind of the next crop, as it were. And I don't think Liverpool are going to be able to do that. And I think what you'll see with Liverpool is they'll just have to hang on to this team for as long as they can. Um, and, and I think that will have an impact on them, whereas I think you'll see certainly United and City taking advantage of their financial advantages. Um, and it looks like Chelsea are going to as well with this kind of this Werner deal um, that they're doing. It looks like they're ready to really back Lampard there. And they've they already got um, the guy from Ajax. Is it Zayic? Yeah,
1: Ziyech, um, Z- Ziyech, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's two quite big players. They're introducing, they, they've already got done for next season. So they're, you know, they're really, cause Chelsea have been hovering around that kind of, well, we might finish third like Chelsea have kind of hovered around that where Arsenal were 10 years ago, like that kind of, well, let's try and finish third or fourth. But I think they're really positioning themselves to, you know, to, to really start kind of challenging again. Um, and I think you're going to see the top sp- six split, into two um and and of course you've got leicester who have invested really smartly they've sold really smartly so they've been quite kind of good financially they're probably going to be in the champions league they've got a good young team um, a coach who's really looking to make a name for himself again and re-establish his reputation so you know that that that's kind of interesting Um, and so i i but i think that like you know spurs have just taken out a loan from the bank of england arsenal have kind of foisted a pay cut on their players liverpool you know the liverpool ownership have been very clear about like the financial impact that this will have and they've pulled out on a big signing that they've it sounds like they've had planned for a little while and chelsea have taken it and I, i think that's a bit of a sign um of what lies ahead how about you clive i mean do you do you have the same take on it
3: similar yeah we have a chat beforehand similarly I think um, Manchester United will, will roll they'll just roll as they are um, Man City um, they've got some squad building to do um, they are that aged um State, and they've got some squad building to do. Key people like David Silva are obviously going to be ending shortly, and we don't know the gap between him and Foden, and do we need something else anyway? Gundogan's been a bit of an injury nightmare. And Fernandino's not getting any younger. They've got Rodri in place, but again, you can debate his quality, although he's already in place. So that's a good sign. Aguero's posting 31-32 now, so, you know, great player. Jesus is there, but, you know, they're losing Sané. They've got some situations at the left-back situation as well. Kyle Walker's now 30. And they really need a second centre-half. They're not really convinced by John Stones. And so they've got some rebuilding to do. But let's not cry for them, right? Because they're not exactly skinned. Liverpool, I agree with him. I think um, they're looking at players like Minamino have become very important to them because they're the start of the next breed. So to look at players like him, look at your mate, Navi Keita, those players are just bubbling under at a good age Oxley chamberlain just you know, he's probably 12th man in that team they're going to be the, the next the next generation so how they do is going to be interesting to see and the front three never seems to get injured and no one wants to come and be the fourth one and I think that's partly behind the Werner deal and partly I think that's because nobody did want to pay the money up front so they are maybe trying to haggle but I think if I was them I sort of agree with that I would look at somebody younger. I would even pay more, but, but I would look to develop them into a really something pivotal behind one of the players, which they will lose one of those three to a Real Madrid or a Barcelona for sure. Um, Spurs, they borrowed their money. They borrowed it at 0% or 0.5% rate from the Bank of England. Daniel Levy life loves to sweat that asset off that ground, and he has regular football games, concerts, Everything lined up was going to bring in loads of money, which they no doubt speculated on, and suddenly that's gone. But that's a huge blow for them. A new asset, which they which ran 300-plus million over budget, and they were late into. Luckily, Wembley helped them with their revenues, the size and dementia of Wembley, obviously. So they must have speculated for this money to be in place. That's going to cost them a player. That will cost them a player, but somebody's going to have to go or they're gonna miss out on deals coming in, and that could separate them from where they were heading. And I think with Arsenal, I think there's a lot of unknown. You know, Chelsea seems to be speculating and saying there's an opportunity in the market. They were frozen because of the transfer ban. They managed to stay in there with their young players, which they put pulled back from championship clubs, etc. they stayed into the top four, and that's a fantastic achievement. Now they can spend, they can spend in the time and no one else has got any money, is it going to be a depressed market? Chelsea could make a leap, because they don't really care about blocking youngsters. If they see a player, they just buy them, because they care about the value of their squad. Now, whilst I've got a young developing squad, our squad value is quite low, you know my thoughts, I would chop some of the old aged players out. I don't care, it would be painful, but I would like to build up from the bottom. I think we are in this position where we could be separated, or we could take an opportunity business wise, that's gonna need support from our owners or a way of loaning money into the club to enable us to take the opportunity. And as soon as I say support from owners, I can hear everybody coughing down their phones. That's never gonna happen. And that is the problem. The moment's coming, what do we wanna be? Do mm-hmm. we wanna be for, do you wanna be fourth to seventh? Because that's a that's a real possibility. Or do you want to be in that top three fighting? Mm-hmm. Right, and it's coming now, and it really is. So this period of football I'm really excited for, it's a statement. This is what we can do with the resources that I have. Give me more if I'm Arteta. Protect my career. Give me more to be able to be to compete properly. Otherwise, we're not going to be the top end of the game. When the game gets back on its feet, and the if you start getting back to where it used to be, we need to be positioned. Commercially and on, and sporting ambition-wise, at the moment, Werner. None of us thought he was coming to Arsenal. If he was, even if he, even if we liked him, we had space for him. None of us thought he was going to come because we are not the first team in London that people look for now for these young bright players. And we always used to be. Mm. You know, when I first came to this podcast, mate. Remember my maybe my phrase "employer of choice." I used to rattle off.
1: Yep. <laughs> I always
3: fear, I always feared this day. I always feared it. We need to be that place. And we're not. So we, we spoke about Leicester briefly, but that leicester Dortmund model is where I want to go. Smart teams, smart recruitment, looking in the market, young players, building squad value, keeping the ones you want to keep, selling the ones at the right time you don't want to keep, don't let anyone walk out for free. That's the model we should be aiming for. And I really admire what Leicester and Dortmund are doing in the market.
1: Yeah uh Final thoughts on that, Tim? I, I mean, I agree with with that, of course. But I'm curious if Tim does. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. I do. And and look, I I think I do think we've got the right coach in place, <laughs> at least. And um, and and I do think I get the impression that Arteta's is going to be a bit more of a hands-on manager. Um, whether you know the people upstairs will like or appreciate that I think we will see in the fullness of time but mm. you know there are reports this week for example that he wants to intervene on the Abamian contract and he wants to talk to the player um, and, and on, on one hand um, that's maybe slightly worrying and says that he doesn't trust the people above to get it done maybe a bit like the pay cut but on the other hand you know you could just say well that's just that's just a manager who cares and believes in himself and believes that you know hit that that that's his job, and believes in his ability to talk, to, you know, to sell the Arsenal project to the player. And what Clive was talking about there is employer of choice. We we haven't had that for a little while. Um, we certainly didn't have it under Emery. Um, I I at least think that Arteta could do that. I I think I think the thing is about Arteta that I really like, and I know he's a young coach and he's going to make mistakes, but I I think i think Arteta's is a real arsenal man i think he i, I really think he he loves this club and it's one of the reasons i really respond to him not just because i think he communicates clearly i think he has a genuine depth of feeling for arsenal and i think the reason for it is because he came to arsenal so late in his career and he clearly when he went to everton he was thinking i want to move I, I want i want to use everton as a stepping stone i want to You know, play well for Everton and then maybe after two, three seasons, get my move to Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool. And it didn't quite happen because he got injured. And then it happened much later in his career than he thought, probably when he thought the chance had gone. And he, he talks so enthusiastically about coming to Arsenal and about what Arsenal meant to him. And, you know, when you look around, he wasn't linked with managing any other club. It was only Arsenal and tangentially Everton. And he yeah. said when he came, you know, I, I wanted to come back here. It was always in my mind to come back here. And And, you know, look, that doesn't make him a good coach. But I think if you're talking about attracting players, look, I mean, if you haven't got money you haven't got money, but if we're talking about like having a bit of an edge, I I really, really think that he can give us that bit of an edge because, and I loved what he said to Ian Wright about, you know, if I talk to a player about coming to Arsenal and they're not sure, then I'm I'm not really interested. And and I'm sure that that's like slightly over egged because you, you still have to sell it a little bit. But Mm. I, I do think that if we're looking for marginal gains, um, in terms of attracting players, and if it comes down to, you know, the fact that we have the money and club X has the money, and it comes down to, to selling it, then then I really think we've got the right person there. Um, but un- unfortunately, like I said, I, money's just going to be an issue for the next couple of years, at least. And and I think the sooner we all accept and understand that, um, you know, the better.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, I I think we can leave it there. We we hit the hour mark, having not intended to do so. Which just shows that I think we're just going to be fine. We're going to, we're going to be fine creating content. I feel I feel pretty confident that we will find a way to fill up the time. My goodness, it's going to be a lot of football. So, um, not really much to do from there other than to say we'll we'll try to be back with a more regular schedule of a couple pods next week, including something for patrons that we have lined up. And uh, those of you who are who have signed up for that, we we really appreciate it. We know you stuck with us through a period that that was tricky for a lot of people, and it it, it helped us tremendously. And um, you know, also helped us uh, put together a great fundraiser. So thank you for that. And those of you who just listen uh, to the regular podcast, obviously we appreciate you as well. I mean, we, we have this wonderful community of people that, I, I mean, even through this period without football, uh, has still been tremendously enriching. So thank you for that. Uh, St- uh, Tim is on Twitter, Estoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Scott and Paul on a future episode. The football is is coming, and I think that will make all of this feel a lot more uh, urgent and interesting. Uh, If it isn't already. I mean, obviously it's interesting already, but, you know, even more so. So uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on the other side of the weekend. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Manchester City